0: Welcome to Bits of Signum, a podcast that dives into the intersection of gaming, AI, and Web3. In each episode, we host titans of innovation and thought leadership, and we cover the many new online economies and technologies that are bubbling up in the metaverse. The conversations explore new business models with the leaders who are shaping the future. I'm your host and founder of Signum Growth, Angela Dalton.
1: I'm DJ, gaming consultant at Signum Growth, and I'm Evan
2: Castelli, Web3 analyst at Signum Growth.
0: Welcome back, everyone. Very excited today. We are starting our 14th episode of Bits of Signum, and we have G Money here today. This is a very special guest. He's a thought leader, educator. He's started many communities in the Metaverse, the Metaverse community at Mid One. He has founded the first crypto native fashion luxury house. I am sporting one of the items from the fashion luxury house uh, called 90 CC. We're going to talk about both of these organizations and we're going to talk about these communities and we're going to talk about, um, we won't talk about him selling his to Visa, but that's pretty cool. We got to talk about that before the show. Um, And um, also what we've been really interested in uh, is the idea of um, bringing in some really big brands, Adidas uh, Nike, Visa, Meta, et cetera. Um, would you mind starting G-Money with your origin story? How you got into this space? Uh, and uh, we'll go from there.
3: Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. Um, it's the first podcast I've done in, in a few weeks. So it's, uh, it's refreshing. Uh, Cause I was doing awesome. podcasts, a lot of podcasts for a while there. So uh, it's fun to be back on. Uh, but yeah, I guess a little bit about myself uh, to get this started is, you know, I, I have a background in finance. Uh, I was a traditional equities trader, uh, long short US equities for a really, really long time. I got into crypto in, uh, in probably mid 2017. I went, I, you know, I found Ethereum. I went down the ICO rabbit hole. And I remember in early 2018, I was like, this technology is incredible. It's definitely gonna change the world, but it's still too early. And so um, I, at that point, I sold everything I had that was liquid. I was like, I'm going to come back here. And, you know, I continued trading equities over the course of that time. Uh, you know, 2020 hits, COVID, uh, COVID hits. And I remember uh, the day that uh, Jerome Powell said that he was going to um, basically print money and buy everything. I wired a bunch of money over to Coinbase, bought a bunch of Ethereum and started going back down the rabbit hole. And I, I mean, I remember um, when I started going back down the rabbit hole, I was like, wow, like people build stuff so much faster uh, than I anticipated. Like I thought it would take five to seven years to build uh, products that that consumers could use. And it actually only took two. And I remember just relearning everything, um, cutting my teeth with DeFi Summer. And towards the end of DeFi Summer in, in August, early September, I remember I found NFTs. And they almost immediately made sense to me because um, at the beginning of COVID, I had bought a PlayStation after not having played a video game for over 10 years. I download Fortnite. I start playing Fortnite with my friends and some of their nephews. And the first, you know, these kids are 10, 11, 12 years old. And the first thing that they ask is, what skins did you buy? And I was like, skins, like, you know, they don't give me any special powers. Why would I buy a skin? And, you know, fast forward two, three weeks later, I'm buying a bunch of skins. And I realize that there's going to be this massive super cycle here of that kid, you know, uh, 10 years from now, having his own disposable income and being totally okay with owning a purely digital asset. And, you know, this was back in March uh, of 2020 and I didn't really know how to capitalize on it. And uh, it was when I found NFTs, I was like, you know, wow, this is your skin on Twitter, right? Which is currently the metaverse, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, these are the metaverses that we live in today. And I said that this was going to be um, huge, right? I didn't expect it to happen as quickly as it did. But my thesis was that, you know, a verifiably scarce digital object would become very, very valuable and in, in at some point in the future. Uh, and if it wasn't, you know, tomorrow, it would happen, you know, within X number of years as that child matured and understood it. So that was really, you know, what delved me into the rabbit hole. Uh, I remember when I first got into the NFT space, I remember thinking, I don't wanna buy CryptoPunks. I wanna buy the next CryptoPunks. And I was buying a lot of these other projects. And as I was spending more time in Discord researching projects, um, people red-pilled me on CryptoPunks. And I was like, okay, I have to own a CryptoPunk. And it ended up uh, culminating in me buying my CryptoPunk 8 for 140 ETH Uh, at the time that was around $150,000 USD. And that was the most amount spent on a CryptoPunk at that time. And I wrote my thesis on on why, right? Which is basically, you know, you have the provenance of digital assets, and you have the human desire to kind of signal status and signal something uh, in a digital realm as well as a physical realm. And so um, I wrote this thread on it of why I bought it. I remember at the time people thought I was crazy, um, and it turns out that um, I was I was I was onto something and. You know, that that around that time, I think a week or two after that is when the NFT bull market really started. Um, and, you know, I think 2021 was a crazy year for NFTs.
0: Hmm, it's I, I love the story because one of the inspirations for starting Signum, Signum Growth Capital was walking on Fifth Avenue and seeing a Topshop billboard of a woman in an outfit that was the most popular skin in Fortnite for girls. And it was this aha moment for me of like, you know, this is about social capital and identity. And and you're gonna want property rights around the things that you own in digital spaces, just like you want property rights for the things you own in the physical world. Mm-hmm. And CryptoPunks are super interesting to us. And you specifically are the perfect person, probably the best person to talk to about rights and about, you know, licensing. I think a lot of people, in, you know a lot of our audience are traditional investors um, you know I have a long shared equity background as well uh, equity background generally capital markets like you and um, a lot of them you know just you know really are trying to get their head around this idea can you just describe kind of how you have licensed um, your punks how has your identity tied to your punk then established and then maybe go on to licensing from there
3: Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's that's a really interesting question. So, first, we'll talk about identity. So, I, I purchased a CryptoPunk uh, uh, ape uh, with an orange beanie, right? And so, what that means is there are ten thousand CryptoPunks. Uh, of those ten thousand CryptoPunks, there are I believe it's eight or nine aliens, twenty five apes, and uh, eighty eight zombies, and the rest are humans. And of those, each one is unique, no two are alike, and they all have these different traits, some traits more rare than others. So when you look in terms of tiers, right, I own an ape. So it's the second tier. I could have afforded to buy an alien, I definitely would have. I originally bought a zombie first, and then I ended up buying uh, the ape when I was like, all right, I think this is, I can afford this, so I bought it. And I, I remember when I bought it, I was like, I'm gonna make this my identity. And originally, it's so funny because when I bought it in January of twenty twenty one, my goal was I am going to make this the most valuable ape of the CryptoPunks, and I am going to sell it at Christie's in five years uh, because I, that's how long I thought it would take for for this uh, trade mm-hmm. to play out. And you know, obviously, it happened much faster because Punks uh, went up for auction at Christie's five months later, and you know, at, but at the same time, it was my profile picture, so it became synonymous with with G money, right? Even to this day, if you see, you know, anybody that sees an ape uh, with an orange beanie, cause there are other ones. I, I think Gary V bought one of uh, my twins, right? It's an orange beanie ape with a gold chain. Uh, and even when it, when he bought it, people were like- I've
0: got it right in here in my hat.
3: Yeah, it's right inside the hat. And so, um, you know, people know that it's synonymous with me. And I think part of it is because I really made that my identity and I never really uh, have changed uh, let's say, uh, who I am in, in my persona online and changing my profile pictures and whatnot. But even like the color schemes, when people see an orange beanie, uh, they they generally think G-money, although, you know, there, there are other people that, that come to mind as well. So I think I really just ran with the identity and understanding that, especially at that time. Uh, my thesis was, um, because it was funny, because uh, right around uh, the Beeple sale happened a couple months later. And I remember um, coming from a traditional finance background, I had an opportunity to go on, you know, talk about it in the financial press, but they wanted me uh, to dox. And, you know, my thesis, like, my argument to that was, you know, who I look like, uh, what I look like, and what my name is, doesn't really matter, it should be, you know, the essence of my thoughts, which people seem to, to like, uh, and I was thinking about things very differently. So I really leaned into the idea of the persona and being G money and being known as this crypto punk ape, because imagine you were listening to, you know, this cartoon monkey on the internet and taking it seriously and, you know, going to it for advice on, on anything. And, you know, but like, I, I firmly believe that's the world we're headed to, right. When you see um, kids playing Fortnite, And somebody you know is running around looking like rick from rick and morty but could kill you in two seconds right like just because it's just because somebody has a certain appearance doesn't mean that they're not capable and they don't have the skill set to do something so i really really leaned into that and um i think after a couple weeks i realized that it was that it was just going to be so much bigger than i even imagined uh initially and you know i just really really leaned into it once once i saw that and i'm like this is going to be my identity this is the brand this is the persona and i'm going to build everything around that and so um at the time i bought crypt at my crypto punks and you know from crypto punks were made in 2017 all through up until 2022 uh there was no commercial license to use your punk so i wouldn't be able to um Take my punk and put it on, you know, do a deal with Adidas. Um, I needed to have the Crypto Punks, um, the Crypto Punks blessing, uh, the Larva Labs blessing in order to do it. And I know that there was this, this gray area or, you know, like kind of like an area in limbo in, in 2021 where there are a bunch of people with punks that wanted to build brands around their punks and, and build something, but they felt like they were hampered because there was no real terms and conditions. There was no, you didn't know right? Like what the rules were. So it was really tough to operate very similar to, I think, the overall crypto regulatory environment for the last few years is like when you don't know what the rules are, you don't know what's allowed and what's not. And so that really hampers people just trying to be innovative because at the end of the day, I think most people don't go into business trying to get sued. So, you know, I I think that that to me really kind of hampered it there. Uh, Luckily, in early 2022, I believe it was March 2022, Yuga Labs bought the CryptoPunks IP from Larva Labs and uh, gave it, uh, not TC0, but gave it a a commercial license to the owners, to each individual owner, which was really, really cool. Um, And, you know, we took that opportunity. Um, I I remember I was on a flight from New York to L.A. um, to to fly there for a conference when the news dropped and we had been working on a uh, a G-Money video game. And so, um, at that point, what we ended up doing is we put the actual ape in the video game, and it's probably the first instance of the use of punk IP because this happened probably a week after, maybe less than a week after uh, the announcement was made, where uh, there was on-chain IP using my CryptoPunk um, for this game, and you know the mechanics of the game were were really cool because they were recorded on-chain. Um, you know, gas gas costs are a little high and, and what not to do it, but it was just very novel. Uh, and so it was just kind of like the first use case and the first showing of, you know, what you could do with this IP that you own. I think um, one thing that I've seen a lot of, especially lately is, you know, and, and we know like in the real world, a lot, you know, deals and bringing stuff to market takes time. And I think we're starting to see more and more of that with like the board API club. And that was one of the things that I think, made the board API club so intriguing to a lot of people is they did give owners IP from, from the start. Right. And that was, you know, they saw this desire for something in the market for people to own the IP that they bought. And they, they allowed people to do that. And you saw, you know, there's a uh, board API club board in Hungary is, is uh, a restaurant uh, out on the West coast. There's uh, ape water. There's a lot of people building people, um, let's see, water brands, uh, consumables, uh, weed pens, wh- whatever have you. And people have been taking that IP and building brands around it. And it's been really, really interesting to watch. Um, I think probably uh, the pullback in the NFT space has uh, tempered a lot of that enthusiasm. Uh, but uh, it's it's been really interesting nonetheless, uh, especially... Mm-hmm as I look at it from my, my brand. And, you know, when I did my deal with Adidas, I did a collaboration with Adidas, Bordet Club, and Pixel Vault. And my initial thought, what I really wanted to do initially was I wanted to put my punk on the Adidas merch on that collab. And we weren't able to, because we didn't have commercial rights at the time. Uh, So that was like, really, really disappointing. So, but like the beautiful thing that, those commercial rights usage opened up is that, you know, in the future I could put my punk on there, right? Like even in in the hats and in the shirts that we make, right? There is that little Easter egg of, you see my punk in there on the label tag. And it's kind of like this this little nod to crypto of, you know, if you know, you know, type of thing. So it's been, it's been really cool. It's been a very evolving process. And I think every project individually has their own um, their own mentality and their own framework of how they deal with IP. Uh, and you see the range of no IP shared whatsoever to you know full CCO where anybody could use anything with no uh, with without having to ask for permission.
0: Mm-hmm. And have you seen any examples? Um, you don't have to give specific examples, but maybe kind of lessons learned and maybe what not to do, or um, you know, kind of pitfalls to avoid when it comes to licensing. Products.
3: Uh, I think I, I can give a. A lesson learned in terms of maybe changing the terms of uh, of the IP ownership after launching a project. There was uh, one pretty well-known project that uh, initially launched it as I believe um, uh, maybe each owner was able to do it, and then they CCO'd it, um, and people were, were upset uh, afterwards, obviously because it's not what they signed up for, really. Uh, I think in retrospect... I think a lot of times people have um, have really conflated the idea of how one, how hard it is to build a brand and two, uh, like one picture won't necessarily make or break your brand. There's a lot more work that goes into it. And so mm-hmm. um, like, you know, as I think of G Money is like people don't necessarily, especially today, I don't think people don't follow me because I have a crypto punk ape, right? They follow me probably more because of the thought processes that I have the quality of my ideas. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's just having that mentality of saying, Oh, if I buy this NFT, then like, you know, people will automatically, uh, you know, buy my product. I, I, that doesn't, I don't think that works. And I think initially that's what maybe people thought. Uh, But, you know, you have Mm -hmm. to tell a compelling story. You have to have something that's differentiator just like anytime you're selling any service or product, you have to, it's like, why, you know, if somebody's going to spend a hard-earned dollar uh, and give it to you, you have to give them a reason why.
0: We want to hear the story of Adidas because that, that was the first massive brand, well-known brand to come into the Web3 space, thanks to you. And we want to hear that story. Can you first ground us in the communities that you've built? And maybe just so that listeners understand, Admit 1, 90cc. Can you just explain the various yep. entities?
3: Yep. So, um, as as a uh, as a as a precursor, the Adidas deal happened. Um, the drop happened in December of 2021, uh, which was the biggest hype drop uh, in history, uh, which was pretty cool. I, I was I didn't know that until uh, about three four months ago. So that's actually a pretty cool, cool thing that I didn't know. Uh, but I remember after the Adidas drop happened, uh, there were there were certain things that you know just didn't exist in the space that I wanted to see. Uh, and this was in December of 2021. I said, okay, uh, I turned to my team and I was like, I want to work on the things that I have originally wanted to build, uh, things that I want to see out there. And I don't want to wait for somebody else to do it. So I'm just going to do it on my own. And that's when we really started laying the groundwork of, okay, how, how do we launch an IDCC? How is this going to launch? One, as a crypto-native brand, and then two, as a luxury brand. And you know we, we really were working really, really hard for um, the next few months, and you know, the initial thought was, we're going to launch Admit One, which is encompass all things um, that GMoney works on, and you know 90CC being a very specific one in the fashion vertical. Uh, and so you know, over the previous year and a half, anytime I had traveled to a location and you met me, you had the opportunity to collect an NFT. Right. And that NFT was proof that you met me in person, because the only way that I was giving them out to people was if I met them in person. And so over the course of the next, uh, you know, year and a half, I met a lot of people that I collected a lot of those NFTs and it was a free to mint NFT. It was like, you know, this I never told anybody what would happen with it. In fact, when I started it, like I didn't really know exactly where I was going to go with it, but I was like, hey, this is a fun experiment like this is fun. People like to collect things, whether they have value or not, right? Because it could be, you know, it just signifies that moment in time of somebody meeting me. And that became almost the, that, that was the allow list for people to mint and mint one for free, um, of which there was only going to be a thousand of them. Um, and that was the way we were going to start the community and then build from there. So, you know, those people that I had met in person over the previous year and a half, uh, had the opportunity to mint it for free. Uh, it traded at one point as high as $30,000 each, um, you know, which was pretty crazy. I think over the course of the next two weeks, it was, um, you know, pretty, pretty insane because I thought, I thought it probably wouldn't trade more than two or $3,000 at the most. Um, and um, that's how we kind of started our community to build out from there. Uh, and then we launched 90CC about two months later. Uh, we announced the announcement two months later and we did our iteration one drop uh, a month after that and that was really how we started building the community in the space and you know things have been pretty great like if you go to any any crypto conference i mean you'll probably see some of our product running around which has been awesome as uh as the creator to to see that you know uh snowfro is a good friend of mine and he's probably one of the top generative artists in the space. He is very well known for his project called the Chromie Squiggle, which is a yeah. generative squiggly line that has mm-hmm. different a different spectrum of the rainbow in it uh, in each one. So each one is unique. So uh, that project is one you can get a one of one of ten thousand. I remember that when we had started talking in you know probably late twenty twenty one and early twenty twenty two is like you know in a world where you know we're going towards more customization, more personalization. People are going to want very personalized products. So what does that look like, right? What does it look like if, you know, you could buy a t-shirt and you could walk out of the store with it and you know that you're the only person in the world that will ever have this t-shirt? Like, that's pretty cool. And so, you know, we took that concept and we brought it to life with a pop-up at Art Basel uh, last year in in December of 2022 where somebody could walk in. They can mint an NFT. And so that NFT uses the same exact algorithm that um, Snowfro used to generate the chromy squiggle, but instead of a squiggly line output, it's a straight line output. And it has all the same properties, the same rarity schedules, and everything is randomized. And as soon as that NFT was made, we would take that NFT and we would would print it direct to garment on a t-shirt, link it to an NFT, and then give it to you to walk out the door. And so that process was really, really cool. And, you know, now whenever you go to a conference, you'll, you'll see people running around with the iteration two t-shirt and, you know, they'll, they'll either come up and it, it's great to, you know, people go up to Snowfro, want him to sign it, want them to take a picture with it. It's been, it's been really, really cool. And, and a lot of these things are just, you know, experiments. Everything in my view has always been is like, well, what, you know, when a major brand comes into the space, they're not going to be pushing the boundaries of the technology, right? They're going to be playing, most likely playing it safer because one, they have brand equity. Two, they have legal issues that they're going to have to deal with that you know a small startup necessarily you know can probably play a little a little faster and looser with those things. Um, so it's like, how do I kind of show like best practice of okay, this is what I think could be cool, this works for me, and let's test it. And that's something mm-hmm. that maybe wouldn't get past legal at you know a fortune 500 firm
0: right, right you can kind of experiment and lay the groundwork and show them what's possible
3: And then and then once they see what's possible then they say okay well we like that aspect. let's integrate that into the drop.
0: Yeah yeah I want to um, move to my co-host Evan and DJ but I just want to ask you one thing because I, I do hear uh, a lot of traditional investors push back on this idea of the 10,000 of anything. And you have done a phenomenal job of building community and, and, and experiences. Can you just talk about some of those, some of the ways that you can build beyond the 10,000 and, and drive a much bigger, broader community that is all-inclusive? Yeah, I
3: mean, I think, um, I forgot who wrote the article, but it, I, it's always stuck with me even before I got into Web3 is all you need is a thousand true fans. If you have a thousand true fans, that's the beginning of something, right? And so even my community, admit one, we started with a thousand NFTs. I didn't want 10,000 uh, to start because I kn- I know that I'm going to make mistakes. And so I know that my quality of life having you know 10,000 people screaming at me, uh, being like, "Oh, what what's going on here? What's there?" Uh, is gonna make my life really, really unmanageable. Uh, and I said to myself, okay, well, a thousand seems much more manageable. Um, And and I wanted to start small and I know I can build. Once I have the the good framework in place, then it it becomes easy to scale, right? And I think one of the really, one of the people, people often say it's a bug, but I really think it's a feature of the NFT space is you have a a very dedicated focus group like that will give you their reaction 24 seven in real time to things. Right. And this, talking about focus groups, that's something that people pay, you know, these major brands pay, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars for to get, you know, what their, how their consumer might react. And you could just hop into Discord and be like, this is what we're thinking. What do you guys think? And you will get, you know, from I love it to I hate it to, you know, go jump off a building. Right. And so I, I think that, but that's the beautiful part of it. Right. Is like, cause if you, if you can get a thousand people that really love what you're doing, then scale starts to become, it's just a question of scale. Right. And it just is a question of, okay, well, we found product market fit for this group of people. You know, how do we expand that from a thousand to 10,000 to a hundred to a million to 10 million. Right. And so I, you know, and then, and then it just becomes the part of operations and scaling a business. So <clears throat> I think, you know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, well, we're gonna, you know." Like, as, as an investor, I always laugh when people are like, "Well, this is our TAM," and you know they'll give out like, you know, a trillion dollar TAM, and all we need to do is capture X percent of that. Like, I hate that as an investor. Is like that. That to me is like super, super lazy of why I should invest mm-hmm. in your business. But you know, I, I I prefer the more thoughtful approach of like, well, this is how we're we're planning to. Uh, approach it rather than like this is how big the market is, and if we just capture this small sliver, you know we're gonna be a unicorn like i that to me just doesn't make sense, so I would much rather start small and then once you have people that are happy and paying customers, then it just becomes of how do you acquire more customers at a low price right and that and that's I think what most businesses are
2: I wanted to ask you kind of how you deal with uh nFt people in this environment or even just um you know people who are used to a crypto market who are then getting into something other than a crypto market, i.e. like a fashion brand or the sort of admin one community. Um, But you kind of answered um, my question, which was like, you know, what kind of struggles do you face with that? How do you deal with them? And you said, like, you know, start small,
3: basically, is is what I'm hearing. One is definitely start small. Uh, Two is, I I mean, I pride myself on the fact that uh, I don't like price talk. Like I like to me. I think price talk is a way to build community so artificially and superficially, mm-hmm. and I, it doesn't I stay, right? Uh, coming from financial markets, we know, pr- like number doesn't always go up. Everything exactly. cycles, narratives change, uh, investor base changes, right? And so, when you cater to uh, the NFT community member that is only focused on number go up, then guess what? At some point, they're going to sell because they're just focused on number go up. So they're not really It's like, do I even want that person in my community, right? Because they're they're going at some point. Their plant, they buy something when they're looking at the exit. And if there's somebody that's looking at the exit, then they're not they're not going to be aligned with let's say all of the values that we have for the brand or that we want to do with the project. So those people, like I don't necessarily want to feed them, right? Uh, I don't want to give them more ammo and ammunition. So in the Discord, we you know I think in the last. Uh, it's been like 15 months, I think, since we launched the Discord, there's been price talk maybe two or three times, Um, you know, and it's, I just try not to emphasize it because uh, it's funny because there's some really loud communities on Twitter that all they do is they talk about price and it's, like I said, it's great on the way up. The reflexivity Mm -hmm. of that on the way down is going to be terrible. Um, And I think we've seen that with a lot of projects. So, I think I just try to not focus on price. I try to get people in there that want to be in there. Uh, we do like some, I think, great community events. My my personal favorite call of the week, uh, and we have this on a weekly basis, is every week at 3 p.m. Eastern on Fridays, we have this thing called FOMO Fridays, where we all just hop in the Discord and anybody can talk about whatever topics they want. We don't always talk, like we actually very rarely talk about NFTs. You know, lately we talk about a lot of AI, life extension, psychedelics, like these things. It's like, how do you improve your life? How do you make your life better? Sometimes people, people, it's interesting. Last last week we had, last week we had a create like we were talking about everything. We were we went into conspiracy theories. We were talking about superconductors. We were talking about everything. But you know, and then also somebody was like, I'm working on this project with this major brand that's coming into the space this is the problem they're trying to solve. Does anybody have any suggestions? And we were all just kind of brainstorming for like 20, 30 minutes of like, hey, you should go back to them with this, right?
0: And so- This it- sounds so fun. I will be there. Yeah, please. please <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. I just, I'm going to emphasize um, at the end of the podcast or in the notes, this idea that you just highlighted of of, of people not talking about the number go, you know, number go up all the time because to me, and it's kind of like what, what you said in the beginning and what brought me to the space is, social capital identity community not speculation and trading and yeah. because social capital identity and um, community are uh, durable yeah. and meaningful in people's lives so i i love that
3: yeah and it, it's really funny because i've been doing i think this is something that i've inherently understood my entire life which is why i think i ended up being in the nft space when i did but i've been reading books on you know, just like these invisible status games that humans play that I wasn't even aware of that were one just studied as a science, but it, but it's very interesting. And it's like, you kind of see it play out. And I think the interesting thing about crypto is you're now like financializing that. And I think we're kind of going in, in this little um, like, let's say adolescent area where we're all just learning how to work in an infrastructure where this social capital that wasn't financialized for the history of humanity now has the possibility of being financialized and what does that mean, right? And I, that to me is like really interesting problems to solve. And you know, I, one of the things that I'm really focused on with, with 90CC is how do we um, gamify but not financialize? Because I do think once you turn on financial incentives, um, it really skews the playing field, right? Because when you have people that are doing something for money, um, their, their their motives and their like how you get them to do something is very different, right? Um, if you pay somebody, and I'll use 90cc as an example, if I were to pay you a dollar every time you wore the hat, at some point pretty quickly, you will never wear the hat unless I pay you a dollar. And then you're like, oh, I'm not going to wear this hat unless you pay me. Right. But yet, every brand on the planet will have people that are walking billboards for them, um, and they're not getting any, they get nothing out of it. Right? other than the mm-hmm. fact that they can say, oh, I was wearing this brand. And so you know, th- that, that tells you that not everything is driven by financials. Um, and a lot of it is these social games that we play, um, which I think crypto is bringing to the forefront of, forefront of. wow, there is, there is some value here. Um, how do you, one, start to distribute it maybe a little more equally, but then two is how do you gamify it? Um, and I think we maybe swung too far in the direction of financialization and we're probably the pendulum will probably try swing back as we try to find that equilibrium of what is healthy for humanity and you know healthy in terms of like the project overall in terms of growth and and what have you.
1: G but before I forget um and you're, you're you're you've touched on it can you talk more about the actual gamification and how 90cc is incentivizing collectors because i think this approach that you in your team have taken is much different than what we've traditionally seen in the NFT market or in the digital collectible market, especially during the bull run. So, would love to hear your thoughts on this.
3: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's a great question, and that I think that builds on what I just said in terms of how do you incentivize people to want to do something without having to necessarily say, here's money, right? Because I think money is just one, one game that people use to play, but that's not the only game that people play in. And so what we've developed is these, this framework called 90cc network points, right? Where um, obviously buying something gives you points and think of it as almost um, a customer rewards program on steroids, right? When you take a look at any brand operating in the real world right now, um, they, they know for the most part, how much their customers will spend. So they know exactly who their biggest clients are. And, you know, from number one, all the way down to, you know, X. And so the problem with that is that the person that spends the most money isn't always, let's say, the most valuable person in the community, right? Because they that person might wear, you know, maybe I, I buy this hat, but maybe I wear it once a month, right? But maybe there's one other person that maybe, you know, I, this is one of, you know, a thousand things that I bought from 90CC. But now let's say there's somebody else that maybe they could, all they can afford is one hat, but they wear it every day, right? That person is out there being an advocate for the brand every single day and wearing it and probably showing it off to their friends and you know wearing it to places and whatnot. That person might be more valuable to the brand than the person that spends the most money. Right now, you know, I I think there's probably some equilibrium of where where people fall on that. But that's one of the things that we're trying to to solve and hang out for. Right. It's like when like people know, especially in the space, that whenever you see a 90cc branded product, you can you can go up to that person and you can ask for an NFT and and you'll get one and it's free. Right. And now all of a sudden you're starting to build these connections in the real world. And then you start to get incentivized to wear, you know, the product to certain places, right? Where you can check in to a party wearing the product and you receive points. Now, these points are non-transferable because again, the goal is not to financialize, right? The goal is to to play these games and to, to give non-financial rewards, right? So for instance, like, you know, and then we also have a weekly game, right? Where people, the only way you can play that game is if you, during that window, when the game is live, you have to scan a physical product. And that's the only way you can record points. And that gives you network points. And so these network points give you access to drops, give you access to limited edition things, special events and, and what have you. And then, you know, when you start to build that flywheel effect of one, how do you just make it, you know, and I, I always look at the, um, the example I always think of is uh, with these large fashion brands, when they do their, their uh, fashion week shows, right? They, they invite their biggest whales, right? And they invite influencers. The people that spend the most money, you spend $100,000 at Prada. You're you know, there's a chance you could get invited to the show this quarter. Right. And so how do you also find the people that maybe aren't the top spenders, but they're really active in the community? They, you know, engage with the product every day. They wear it everywhere. They wear it to all the special events. Guess what? That person you want, you want that person to feel like they're special and they're part of the family, too. So I think the framework that we're trying to build here is, you know, in its infancy, but I do think it has. It's I think personally, I think it's the future of brands interacting with their with their um, the community base, right? In a way that's not just, you know, how much did you spend? Because how much did you spend is just one piece of that pie.
2: Kind of on that note, what do you think about like uh, what Louis Vuitton is doing with their NFT launch? The one where you have to pay 40k basically for a membership, and then then you get access to spend more money on other. NFTs or other, uh, you know, items.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's inter- I mean, it's it's very similar to the concept that we did, you know, with the MIT1 and uh, that gave you access to the first drop for 90cc. It's just, you know, it was, you know, we, we gave it away for free. Um, it's interesting, right? It's a high price point. Um, I think it was very, the launch was very on brand for what Louis Vuitton did. I think it ultimately comes down is do you get access to product that nobody else can get access to? that people want and that will determine how successful it is. So I think you really have to see how much buy in is there from the top and how how much are they willing to lean into this? Because um, I, I think the, the biggest issue I see with legacy uh, brands uh, doing, you know, giving, let's say, the best perks to the NFT consumer is I'm sure they probably have somebody that spends millions of dollars a year on you know in in the in the stores that's like yeah like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna buy this thing and if they want that bag that's only limited edition to uh the nft holders you know that's a decision that they probably need to make internally of like well do we do it or do we hold our guns or or whatever right and, you know it's you know it, it just becomes relationship management so i think you just really need to make sure you have buy-in from the top and that <clears throat> Putting product that's only available to the NFT holders that is desirable that other people want, and we'll see. It's too early to tell on that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wanted to also ask you, in your opinion, because you you spoke of, you spoke about this earlier as far as the different IP and the different personalities and many facets that just users players, gamers, collectors have from these collectibles. So I guess I wanted to really ask you, how do you see NFTs or digital collectibles altering our offline and online identities in, over the course of the next few years?
3: Yeah, so I think I think overall we're headed towards a future where, um, to, to what Andrew said earlier, right, is in the physical world, you have physical property rights, In a digital world, in a more increasingly digital world, you're going to need digital property rights. So I think NFT framework is here to stay, right? Um, What does speculation look like in the future? I'm sure uh, whatever the next cycle is or the next bubble is, it probably won't be PFPs. Um, It'll probably be something different, some sort of variation of that. Uh, But I do think the framework is here to stay. And I think as the hardware for our real lives, so thinking of the Apple AR glasses and you know everything that meta's working on right um, that form as that form factor gets better and it becomes something that is as easy as wearing a pair of sunglasses or reading glasses um, then I think digital objects start to become much more interesting right like you know how could it be you know we all projected the image that we wanted to project to anybody wearing these AR sunglasses of saying hey this might be a black t-shirt to you, Uh, to anybody not wearing this through an AR filter. But when you look at it through your AR glasses, um, this is, you know, me as a butterfly, right? And so I think that that becomes really interesting. I think the tech just needs to catch up, right? I think human imagination is probably, you know, where, and that's the way it is, right? Creativity is always, you know, a thousand years ahead of where, you know, the actual physical manufacturing process is. And I think once that form factor catches up, then, you know, I think it starts to become, we start to really, really meld those two worlds together of both the digital and the physical and and having that AR component. But how how long that happens, I don't know. You know, it could be five years, it could be 10. I I really don't know. I think it really depends on the manufacturing process. Personally,
1: I think it's really impressive what you've been able to do with the brand. I think it's the cleanest brand, um, not even just in Web3, but period. And I think like, the, the aesthetic and the design speaks for itself, but I uh, wanted to kind of ask you, you guys have been building through the bear market and it's, again, it's impressive to see what you've done, but when do you think that we will start to see the digital collectible market turn around?
3: It's funny. I was having this conversation literally this morning. I think a, a lot of it starts with general crypto, right? So I'll look at it. First from a macro overview, how that affects crypto and then how that affects NFTs. So first is global macro, right? Um, The the first question you need to ask is when are we done raising rates? Right. And then the next question after that is when do we start cutting rates? And so uh, first, it seems like we're starting to come close to uh, the end of the rate height cycle. And I think over the last 10 days, there's been a few uh, Fed chairmen that have said Uh, possibly cutting rates as soon as next year, right? And so if that's the case, then I think risk assets in general uh, probably start to go higher, which is why, you know, I think the S&P is, you know, catching a bid, the Nasdaq's catching a bid, crypto's catching a bid in terms of that. Um, And then once that happens, then you start thinking about, okay, well, when do we bottom? Uh, Probably a few months before uh, we actually start cutting rates. Um, And then, as those animal spirits starts to go, what how does that trickle down into the NFT uh, market? And so I am of the belief, and it's funny because every time uh, people start talking about crypto going higher in general, they're talking about, oh, at your, the value for NFTs are going to go down uh, because the value of each token is going up. So even though dollar wise, you might make more, um, you were better off holding maybe Ethereum or the underlying currency. So I always push back on that because my my thesis has always been, and I remember when I first bought my punk uh, because I bought it. I was starting to buy NFTs when Ethereum was at around five fifty ish, around there. Uh, I was starting to go really deep, and my thesis was that as the value of Ethereum would go up, the value of high quality NFTs would also go up because very similar to the wealth effect in. Uh, traditional markets where when the stock market's at all-time highs, real estate, luxury cars, wine, watches, jewelry, all of those are at all-time highs too because of the wealth effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my thesis was if Ethereum pumped, then assets, the highest quality assets in Ethereum would also go up because there is so little supply and then there will be so much demand of people wanting to display that wealth that at the highest levels, those ones would pump. And so my thesis has always been is that um, NFTs and, you know, the good NFTs and the right NFTs, and that's that's the hard part, right? Picking out which ones are the right NFTs um, were, are a call option on Ethereum, right? And that, that to me has always been the thesis. So um, I have a bunch of crypto punks, a bunch of squiggles that, you know, as the price of Ethereum goes up, I feel confident in those because, again, there's such a limited supply of those that is more let's say, crypto millionaires are born, um, They there's there's very few things that they will want to buy that as, let's say, stores of value. The same way that the traditional art market, right? You have your masters where you buy something from Van Gogh. It probably holds its value over time uh, because there's such a small supply of them compared to the number of people that would buy it. Hmm.
0: It's so exciting to talk to you about... Um... All of this, because one of our theses is that, um, you know, TV advertising. So this has been a thesis for a long time. People have been wondering when TV advertising will crack. A hundred and fifty billion dollars, uh, we always say, is thrown through TV sets into empty living rooms every single year. Mm-hmm. And that number really doesn't change. And when digital came along and, you know, Facebook and 2004 and Instagram and, and Google and all of the digital advertising started to quote, take share. It really didn't take share from brands because they, that, those, those platforms really didn't deliver brand advertising in the way TV could.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: so one of the things that I'm really excited about is the idea that NFTs actually have a shot at cracking that TV advertising budget because we can, and we see it in games, you know, through skins, as you mentioned. Yeah but if you're spending more and more time in a game and, and, you know, I always talk about my 11 year old, actually, she turned 12 yesterday. um, My 12 year old who spends a lot of time in Roblox. um, She has a lot of clothing there. She actually had a dress store at one point. She, you know, her, um, you know, identity is in there and she will, um, she will tap into, you know, one of our friends started the NARS. He brought NARS into Roblox and Mm -hmm. not a single kid had, had heard of NARS. And, it had a similar like TV advertising effect on kids. They created a game, there's branding, you know, you, you know, and when you talk about that guy who might only be able to afford one, you know, of these hats, but he's at every event wearing that hat. I mean, that is really cracking brand
3: Mm -hmm. secret
0: sauce. So I I, I'm excited to talk to you because I feel like we're going to look back and and you're going to be, one of those pioneers that cracked the code on brand advertising.
3: So. Yeah, I hope. So. I think it's it's super interesting and compelling, right? Because also, even on you know the digital advertising side, um, I've 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 learned uh, a lot about it, and it's just a lot of times brands aren't getting what they paid for, right? E- I probably even on the TV side, right, with Nielsen ratings and stuff, it's like you you're trying to capture, you're trying to figure out how many people. Are you actually advertising to and you don't really know and it's like mm-hmm. once you start understanding exactly how many that it becomes really interesting and i think uh mm-hmm. that especially to your point with the roblox stuff is as a brand if you can even offset some of the costs of it right um of of that cost of advertising by creating an experience that people would actually be willing to pay for like mm-hmm. that's pretty interesting as well that was one of the things that I thought was interesting with nfts is you know you're you're kind of creating this market of people that are like invested uh and really care about the brand that are willing Mm -hmm. to spend more money on the brand but like it's like your hardcore your hardcore demographic and i think that that Mm -hmm. becomes really really interesting because you can really take that nucleus and really expand from it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah we're really excited about uefn the you know fortnite creative platform because it it is it creates a um another roblox but Backed by the Unreal Engine, uh, you know, which has cinematic quality, and I could definitely see. We've seen some really interesting experiments there in terms of communities that are being born on on the, the creative platform. And I could definitely <coughs> see characters running around in these hats. And uh, you know, there's 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 just so much um, I, there's so much more to to see and to experiment with here. And um, and you're really on the cutting edge of it. I mean, it's it's you make a good point that there it's getting, be- digital is getting better and better, right? <clears throat> and, uh, you know, Facebook and Google, I think, um, and social generally is getting better and better and like definitely better than TV. W- you know, yeah. w- one of the old, the old sayings in TV is, you know, you know, 50% of it works, you just don't know which 50% <laughs> 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 because you just get no, no data. And, um, but with NFTs, you're not only getting, uh, you know, click through data, you're getting experiential data. You're getting time spent data. You're getting so much feedback on the Discord. You're like you said, it's focus group on steroids. Mm-hmm. So um, it'll be a lot of fun to watch. So any any closing thoughts?
3: Um, no, I, I just want to thank you for having me on. Um, I feel like the conversations that we've been having, both on this, on on the podcast and even off the podcast, have been awesome. So it's been great getting great. Uh, getting to know you guys and, and spending time together. And where should people find you? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter, uh, GmoneyNFT. That's uh, the best place to keep up with everything that I'm doing. Um, 90cc, it, you can follow the links there. It's on 90cc uh, to find out things that the brand's doing. And, you know, I'm the. this is like my main focus. I spend probably 95% of my time on the brand. So um, it's. I, I really do think that um, we're we're in so early, and I know it's so cliche, but it's still so early in terms of adoption. Um, it reminds me of the internet, like 1996, 97. I remember the first time I was, you know, using dial-up to to download pictures that were like, you know, files that were like 100 kilobytes. And, you know, it would be downloading a little bit at a time and, you know, to where the internet is today and what that experience is like. I think, I feel very similar in terms of crypto and and NFT architecture in general.
0: Thank you so much, G-Money. This has been awesome. And thank you, DJ. Thank you, Evan, my co-hosts. That's a wrap on another episode of Bits of Signum. Thanks for listening.